you're using a Bible from the church, you could grab that. It should be in front of you in the pew and turn to page 53. Otherwise, Exodus chapter 11. I want to begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 11 and read down through verse 10. And then I'm going to uh, leapfrog over part of chapter 12 for a moment and pick up at verse 29. You'll, and really, you'll note that both in verse 4 of chapter 11 and verse 29 in chapter 12, the, uh, it revolves around the notion of at about midnight. And so, uh, beginning at verse 1, this is God's Word for us this morning, and here's what God says. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more, uh, one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. He will let you go. He will, uh, will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not A dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me. Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after That I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all of the wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. And then verse 29 In chapter 12, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there, had, uh, there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go, out from among the people, 
both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, shall all be dead? So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up on, uh, in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. Uh, For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word. And our prayer is now the very Spirit of God who moved upon Moses to record these words, would now move in our hearts that you would show us, Father, wonderful things from your word and that you would not just inform us, but that you would transform us. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we are at the the tenth sign or plague or disease that the Lord has been visiting upon Pharaoh. This is designed to, to uh, impress upon Pharaoh the importance of knowing who the Lord is so that Pharaoh would grant the release of the Israelites from their Egyptian captivity. And now here we are at this moment uh, that we looked briefly as we blew through the first nine of the signs and diseases. And, and now we will, we will slow down just a bit and look at this tenth and final uh, sign or plague or disease. We, we are looking at this thing that we call Passover, that the Scripture itself calls uh, Passover. And, and these events that we find here... Um, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, and even next week we'll spill over into chapter 13 as we finish up chapter 12. And, and these events that pertain to the release of the Israelites from their captivity in the context of God displaying His power through this incredible sign that we know as Passover. Uh, this Passover event um, is a pivotal point in the book of Exodus. It's a pivotal point in the entire Old Testament. It's a pivotal point throughout the entire scriptures. And two things I want us to think about concerning this Passover. First of all, I want us to look, and we'll probably spend maybe a skosh more time on this first point, the instructions surrounding the Passover. Because really there's two sets of instructions here, which we'll look at in a second. And then second, we'll look at the impetus supporting the Passover. What's the drive or the motivation uh, behind this Passover? Well, first of all, the instructions surrounding the Passover. There's two sets of instructions. And I read, if you would, 
basically the first set of instructions. The first set of instructions um, are chapter 11, the the 10 verses in chapter 11, um, which surround the issue of what's going to happen at midnight. Verse 4 of chapter 11 says about midnight. And then, and then jumping over to chapter 12, verse 29, um, the, 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 the remainder of the instructions uh, in verse 29 through verse 36. So this, this first set of instructions is instructions about what the Lord is going to do and what the Lord did in this uh, event that we know as Passover. The second set of instructions really begin in verse 1 of chapter 12 and take us all the way over to verse 28 of chapter 12. And these instructions are not so much about what the Lord is going to do in this event of the Passover, uh, but these instructions pertain to how the Lord wants his people to ongoingly remember what he has done in this event known as the Passover. Now, having said that, as he, as he in chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, gives instructions on how he wants this Passover to be remembered, he also gives instructions about uh, the Passover itself, the event. So we'll read part of chapter 12, although we won't cover all of it those first 28 verses, we'll touch on some of it because it gives us a, uh, an important piece of the puzzle, if you would, as to what is unfolding uh, in, the, in the Passover. So, but we'll say more about that next week, even as we, as we venture into chapter 13. Well, what's unfolding? Well, something's hap- going to happen about midnight. Now, Pharaoh is being warned at about midnight, uh, heads up here, this is what's going to happen. Your firstborn son is going to die. The firstborn son of every person in Egypt is going to die. In fact, the firstborn of all of the livestock and cattle are going to die. Because I am, he says there um, in verse 4, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. In other words, I'm coming down and I'm going throughout the land of Egypt. And I'm going to kill, I'm going to strike down every firstborn. Now this tenth sign, and, and, and as has been consistent... Uh, he's even even some of the some of these signs the, this, these ten plagues. Uh, Pharaoh was given opportunity in advance through a warning uh, to do what the Lord had wanted all along to let His people go, and even in this one, then the warning comes: your, your, about midnight, your son is going to die, uh, and Pharaoh refused to to listen to Moses and Aaron. He refused to let the people of Israel go. Now, this tenth sign, this tenth plague, this is the one that will do it. And and what is it that we're wanting to do? Well, you remember in Exodus chapter 6, in verse 6, as the Lord was giving Moses instructions as to what's in play and what's going to unfold and what's he going to do. It says in Exodus 6, 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them 
and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. This tenth sign is going to be a great act of judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But in so doing, in enacting this great act of judgment, it will, it will be to the benefit of the people of Israel. They will be rescued from Egyptian captivity, Egyptian slavery. But they will also, as per Exodus 6.6, 6, not only be rescued from captivity, they will be redeemed from Israel unto the Lord, that they will truly be his people, that they will truly belong to him. In other words, at this point in the Scripture's unfolding instructions to us, God is already beginning to indicate that to live in right relationship with Him, there has to be an act of redemption, of, of, of a purchase, of a substitution, so that people would be rightly and fully uh, in relationship with the one true God. So, the instructions about midnight. I'm going to go out into the midst of Egypt, uh, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the greatest of the families, that of Pharaoh himself, to the least of the families, to even the cattle and the livestock. Now, on the one hand, that... If you just joined us, that feels kind of random. It's like, where did that come from? Why, why the firstborn? Well, again, looking back to remind us of whence we came, in chapter 4, as the Lord was giving instructions to Moses once again, in chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, uh, we read some important insight as to what's going on with this tenth sign that we know is Passover. He says there in chapter 4 of Exodus, beginning at verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says, is, thus, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I shall say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. One of the things that Pharaoh is going to acutely become aware of is that with the loss of his firstborn son, the loss of, of the firstborn sons of, of every Egyptian, the loss of the firstborn of all the cattle and livestock, is that Pharaoh will know that he has held in bondage, that he has oppressed and mistreated the people of God. He says, my people are like my firstborn sons, and you have held them into captivity, and now you are going to pay for holding my people in captivity by, by the death of your firstborn sons. And yet something else that is said in chapter 11, verse 7, 
But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, this is not the first time in the ten signs or, or diseases or plagues that there's been a clear line of demarcation. Some of the plagues were visited just upon the land of Egypt and the people of Egypt, and the people of Israel were spared the, the misery and the challenges of those plagues. But, but here, um, that, that is going to be pushed to another level here, that, that when, when the firstborn of, of Egypt are struck down and killed, there's going to be something of an incredible distinction made between the, the death of the, of the firstborn in Egypt and uh, what's going to happen to the firstborn of Israel. Now, we didn't read about that yet, did we? That's, that's snuck into the part that we didn't read, the instructions that surround how the people of Israel, once they've experienced the Passover and the Exodus, are to commemorate and to celebrate uh, what is unfolded for them in the Passover and in the Exodus. That, that there is something unique about this distinction that will unfold. That, that the distinction between Israel and Egypt in whose firstborn is struck down will require a bit of a response even from the people of Israel. Let's read verses 1 through 13 of chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. Which he's setting up this celebration, this memorial. And what he's telling them is that, in fact... In setting up this memorial of the, around the Passover, it's, it's, it's going to be the new year for them. Now, it, it, calendar-wise, this is probably somewhere in the months of what we call March or April. But for Israel, March and April will be the first of a new year. Part of what they're learning here is that, that as they are redeemed from Egyptian captivity, as they are brought into relationship with God in a very special, redemptive way, it's a whole new start for them. It shall be the first more month of the year for you. Verse 3 of chapter 12. Tell Uh, all the congregation of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. So you get it on the 10th, and this is what you're going to do on the 14th. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight before midnight. 
All right, so you see what's happened here. Part of the distinction that is going to be made between the firstborn of Israel and the firstborn of Egypt is the people are going to go out and get a lamb, and at twilight, before midnight, they are going to slaughter the lamb. Let's read on, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall uh, let none of, the, of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For, this is it, this is the distinction right here, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Do you get why we call it Passover? Do you get why the scriptures label this event and the ceremony that follows this event the Passover? The Lord is going to come down and strike every firstborn dead. And the distinction he's going to make between Israel and Egypt, and this is what's unique about the distinction in this case, is is what is going to differentiate the firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of Israel is that the Israelites will have slaughtered a lamb before midnight and they will have taken some of the blood and they will have painted the blood on the doorposts and on the top of the door uh, in the house where they then eat the rest of the lamb. Now we'll talk more about this meal and some of the implications of it next week, Lord willing. But, but for now, we're just we're doing the overview of what's unfolding. Some of the, the blood will be painted on the door, and the meal will be eaten before midnight. And when the Lord comes to strike down the firstborn at midnight, when he sees the blood on the doors of the Israelites, he will not stop in and strike down the firstborn. He will pass over that house. Now, those are the instructions surrounding the Passover. What I want us to look at just for a few moments is what I have labeled the impetus, the motivation, the drive surrounding the Passover. What are we to take away from this? What was Israel to take away from this? Well, the driving impetus to everything thus far in the book of Exodus, the consistent theme throughout is that God wanted to make himself known. 
I mean by that, in a sense, God wanted a people, the people on this earth, to know exactly who he is, what kind of God he is. He wanted uh, Pharaoh to know that. Now, Pharaoh will know that through judgment. Pharaoh will know what kind of God the Lord God is when judgment is rendered upon Pharaoh, upon the people of Egypt, and it even says there, upon the gods of Egypt. All of them will be judged when the Lord comes into the midst and strikes down the firstborn of the Egyptians. And, and, and yet, God wanted not just Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord God, and not just the surrounding neighbors, because word's going to travel about this, but God wanted his people to know something about him that they did not presently know, that, that they had long forgotten about, that they had become ignorant of, even in their arguably idolatrous state, they had forgotten God. And, the, and this event of the Exodus, and doing this event of the Exodus through this thing of the Passover, what is, is for the design that the Lord wants his people, Israel, to know some things in particular about him. In particular, he is the God who rescues and redeems. He's the God who made all things, but he's the God who comes down in the midst of what he has made to rescue and redeem. And in particular, what he wants them to know about himself as the God who rescues and redeems is he wants them to know how he rescues and redeems. And how he does this in the book of Exodus will be something that just keeps reverberating throughout the rest of the Old Testament, something that keeps reverberating and expanding and being built upon in the rest of the Scriptures. In other words, we will never move past what is unfolding right here in Exodus 11 and 12. The Scriptures, all the way to the very end, will keep bringing us back to this event of the Exodus in the context of the Passover and it's even its fuller significance of what it means. God wants his people to know him as the God who has rescued them and redeemed them. But he wants them to know the manner in which he rescues and redeems. He does it through a Passover lamb. And there's three or four things I want to highlight about this redemption and rescue through a Passover lamb. And in a sense, the rest of the scriptures build upon this. What Israel knows, this is what they know. Now, there's some things they don't know. But what they know is that for the last 400 and some odd years, they've been in captivity. So they've been able to taste the experience of what it's like to live in captivity. 
What they don't fully realize yet is that the captivity that they are experiencing at the hands of the Egyptians is is just a picture or an illustration of a deeper captivity that they are under. And as sure as this Passover lamb will deal with the immediate kind of captivity that they will be aware of, Man, we've been under Egyptian captivity. We've been oppressed uh, for all of these centuries. As the pages of, of Scripture unfold, God's people come to understand gradually that the Egyptian captivity is just an illustration of a deeper captivity. A deeper captivity from which God's people in all times and all places will need to be rescued from and redeemed from. And how God rescues and redeems is through a Passover lamb. God wants to be known as the God who provides redemption through a sacrifice and through a substitution. If there is just only one thing if you've been here for the last 25 years, or maybe you haven't, and you're just here this morning, whether it's the last 25 years that I've been here, or whether it's you, we just happened to meet you this morning, there's one thing I want you to know that I don't want you to ever forget, and that is God rescues a people for himself. God redeems his people through a sacrifice and through a substitution. This is this is this is gone. Uh, this is gone public here in Exodus, but it will just get rich, richer and deeper uh, as the pages of, of Scripture unfold for this. And what I mean by a sacrifice and by a substitute, and it's played out here wonderfully illustrated, is that is that God is going to provide a way of escape for his people so that when he comes down and executes judgment, that judgment will not fall upon his believing people. And the reason it won't fall on his believing people is because in substitution of it falling upon them, it has first fallen upon a replacement, a lamb. And that the very blood of that lamb is the provision by which he would see the slain lamb's blood on the doorposts of those homes. And he would pass over those homes. He would not have to implement, implement judgment and justice in those homes. Because judgment and justice has already been satisfied because of a substitute. How, how would someone like you and me stand before a holy God in right relationship? I mean, you may be tempted to say, well, boy, Joe, I mean, you, you got a shoe in him, and after all, you're a preacher. I mean, isn't that like double bonus points or something? No, it's not, really. It's not. Being a preacher does not natively make me more acceptable in the sight of God than it does any of you. As messy and yucky as your life may be, I, natively I, have, I hold no special place over you. 
on my own, I stand before God and must face his justice and his judgment. On your own, you must stand before God and face his judgment and his justice. That's a horrible thought. And, and, yet, and yet, why we can find joy this morning is because God has made a way of escape. He has put forth a sacrifice who will function as a substitute so that through the blood of the ultimate Lamb, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins are cleansed from us. God's justice and judgment is fully satisfied so that when he sees the blood of the Lamb covering our lives, he passes over us. Scripture tells us that we will all die, and then comes the judgment. What are you going to do when you stand before God and give an account for your life? What are you going to do? You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to say, well, Lord, you know, I've been one of your preachers for uh, 30-something years. Uh, What do you think about that? When I stand before the Lord, and I'm telling you this, that this is what I'm going to do, because I'm telling you this, because I pray by the grace of God, you cherish this in your own heart, that this is what you want to do as well. You are going to appeal to the fact that there's been a sacrifice and a substitute. You will not talk long and deep about yourself. You will talk long and deep about the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. You will marvel in ways you've never marveled before, but that's okay. You can get started marveling right now. You will marvel in ways you've never marveled before when you stand before the awesome holy God and he asks, what are you doing here? And you say, I'm with the Lamb who has been my sacrifice and who has substituted himself in my place And we will trust that the Lord, just as he did in Exodus, just as he's promised throughout his scriptures, he will pass over us in executing his judgment and justice upon us. Because he has cleansed us of all of our sins. God wants you and I to know him. He wants you and I to know him as the God who rescues and redeems. He wants you and I to know that he is the God who rescues and redeems through sacrifice and through substitution. And when I say sacrifice and substitution, we put a name and we put a face with that. The name is the Lord Jesus Christ who has lived a perfect life who has died a perfect death, that at the very beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist nailed it when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
just as the Lord required every Israelite home to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel of that house, symbolizing that, that a conscious, deliberate response of trust and obedience is what makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. For the distinction is found not just in the blood, but the distinction is found in the heart response of believing what God has said. You see what God is saying? He's saying, look, if you'll just tonight, before midnight, if you'll just paint that blood on the doorposts, then uh, I'm not coming to your house. I'm passing over the judgment of your house. You're like, really? Is that really true? Well, in a much more serious and fuller way, what the Lord is saying to us this morning is that whoever turns and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, depending upon the life that he lived, depending upon the sacrifice that he offered, all who belong to Jesus, all who trust in him, shall be adopted as children of God right here, right now, and shall circumvent the judgment at the end because judgment has already been rendered in our place. A substitutionary sacrifice has been made on our behalf. So if you've never done so yet, turn and trust in Jesus. And if you have done so, then every day is a good day to renew your dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust only in the God who redeems and rescues through a provision of a Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, what your word teaches us. Thank you, Father, that we get to know you through your word. And thank you, Father, for what you teach us about how we get to belong to you through the provision of a lamb. So, Father, give us grateful hearts as we meditate and marinate and think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us much to be thankful for because we belong to Jesus. And yet, Father, for those who've never come to grips with the Lord Jesus Christ, who may be here this morning, who through the Lord's table, through the brief time in your word, see the need of a sacrifice and a substitute in their place. Father, may you open their eyes, may you open their hearts, may they see the beauty, the glory, the saving power of Jesus. And may they trust only him. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song together.